Welcome to Smashing the Plateau. We help you get unstuck so you can do what you love and get paid what you're worth consistently. I'm your host, David Schreiner Khan. What makes us drive and obsessive and addictive can actually be used as a really positive trait for entrepreneurship and being successful even in a career. Today on episode 496 of Smashing the Plateau, I'm here with the founder of Entrepreneurs in Recovery, Jesse Harless. I'm going to ask Jesse how people in recovery can be successful entrepreneurs and much more. Find out more about Jesse along with all of our previous episodes at smashingtheplateau.com. Now, before we jump into this incredibly important topic with Jesse, I want to tell you a little bit about how you can get noticed in a noisy world. Our friends at SiteHub are on a mission to deliver a smarter web. This means that they give you the most up-to-date resources to turn your website into a lead generation machine. If you want to use cutting-edge digital thinking combined with top-notch industry expertise to build your long-term business partnerships, contact Sean McKay at SiteHub. Go to YourSiteHub.com. Now let's welcome Jesse Harless. Jesse is an author, trainer, life coach, group empowerment facilitator, motivational speaker, and entrepreneur in recovery. He recently released his first Amazon best-selling book called Smash Your Comfort Zone with Cold Showers. Jesse is the founder of Entrepreneurs in Recovery, a platform that empowers people in addiction recovery to reach their full potential. He works with communities, addiction treatment centers, and programs in the Northeastern United States, where he trains and facilitates his Entrepreneurs in Recovery facilitation workshops. Jesse, welcome to the show. Hey, David. Thanks for having me on. Uh, so, Jesse, you and I met at the New Media Summit, and we've gotten to know each other a little bit. I'd like to, at the beginning, just go into some um, explanation of what this concept of entrepreneur and recovery is all about. Yeah, sure. So, Entrepreneurs in Recovery were, is a company that I started in 2017 after working uh, 13 years in a, in a corporate job, a successful corporate job. I just felt there was a need to elevate the lives of people in addiction recovery. I had been in recovery myself for, at that point, about 12 years. And I just saw a need. I saw a gap. And, you know, just being entrepreneurial in nature, even in my job, in in the corporate job, I was in sales the whole time and management for maybe one or two of those years, but mostly all sales. And I just was always kind of, like I said, entrepreneurial. And, and I, I just thought, you know, I've, I've known so many people in addiction recovery who are just really go-getters or they're entrepreneurial or they're actually entrepreneurs in recovery. I want to learn more about entrepreneurs in recovery that are successful. And I want to teach others how they can be successful learning entrepreneurial skills. And, and so that's kind of the high-level short version of that story. Mm. Jesse, um, have you found from your own personal experience that it is easier to pursue entrepreneurship if you're someone who has the wherewithal to overcome recovery versus being an employee? Yes, I actually do believe that. I do believe what makes us drive and obsessive and addictive can actually be used as a really positive trait for entrepreneurship and being successful even in a career, definitely. Yeah. So in your own experience, how did you first learn this? 
Uh, well, that's a good question. I would say how I learned this was through, first of all, my own personal experiences. I've always been very introverted. And today, in some ways, I I still am in some ways, but I've definitely become much less introverted in the last couple of years. But I was always that introverted uh, salesperson. And I was very successful. And I've won a lot of awards for the company I worked for in sales. But more than that, you know, I just was, I just, when I was at work and my managers would tell me to do things, it would actually hurt me. It would actually hurt my progress. So I just stopped listening to them and I started to write out my own goals. I started to write my own plans and I started to really define my own outcomes. And that's when I became more successful is like, so it was just, it was kind of in me innate to just like set these goals and, you know, to, to strive for more, even if the goals were small, it, it was just something to strive. And the management wasn't teaching me that the, the, the leaders around me weren't teaching me that I was just kind of on my own finding ways that would self-motivate myself. And as I became more successful in sales, you know, I, I met people in addiction recovery who were also successful in what they were doing. And I just saw this, this trait of like, you know, set goals, have a system to achieve the goals and you will be successful. And, and I just saw people who used to be addicted to the heaviest drugs, hardest drugs you could imagine and that were now successful doing things that, you know, they didn't necessarily love, but they loved aspects of it and they were good at. And eventually the question was, well, what if we did what we loved with the actual skill sets that we have and help others. And so that's when like a couple of years ago, this kind of started where it wasn't just me. I had a, I have my, one of my best friends is an entrepreneur in recovery. He started an HVAC company here in New Hampshire. And it's, it's, it's been very successful and I'm not surprised. And he hires people who are in addiction recovery to work for him. Uh, not everyone, but a few of them are. So he's really doing what he wanted to do. Mm. So Jesse, can you actually go, go back to the time when you were in addiction and talk about what that was like? Yeah, I mean, so the story, I'll go high level, but I'll go all the way back to five years old. My father, he fought in Vietnam. He was one of the 20% that were got addicted to heroin. And, um, you know, ironically, you know, 95% of people when they came back, they didn't stay addicted, which is a very interesting study in itself. But my father's one of those people that, that got sober when he got back, but he eventually fell back in not having the coping tools. He fell back into to cocaine and harder drugs. And at five, he left for good, never saw him again. And, you know, that kind of left a scar. And so from there, I kind of, and I didn't know that, by the way, I thought, you know, hey, no big deal, I'll, I'll, whatever. But it was there, the scar is there. And this the thing about abandonment and just not feeling lovable at a deep level was, was, was there and, uh, didn't know this, but in time, you know, I got abandoned a few other times with whether it was a intimate relationship or another father figure that came in. And I just really had this, this view of myself that was really, you know, shameful, unlovable. And, and that, what that translated to early on was just like uh, online games, you know, that's huge today, but this was 96, 97 online games and, you know, internet pornography and, that turned into at 18 when it was time to go to college. I attended a small school here in New Hampshire. When I got there, like I was clueless. Like I really had no idea anything about myself. I barely graduated high school. And when I got there, I just, I just latched on to people who are getting outside themselves and escaping. And so what happened was I got addicted to alcohol and drugs. And, you know, when I say addicted, you know, when people would go to bed and they were trying to go to, to study, I was still up and saying, when's this party going to 
why is this party ending? And it was kind of the, the traits were kind of there that I saw these addictive tendencies. And then eventually at 20, my father passed away. Even though I had no relationship with him, it triggered some type of trauma that just released where I didn't care anymore. Nothing mattered. And I jumped into heroin and cocaine and Oxycontin, you know, synthetic opioids. And, and it just got out of control. And then at 22 years old is when everything came to a crashing halt when I was arrested. And, uh, you know, that's, it was facing serious charges. And that's where, I, that's where everything turned around, 22 years old. What are the traits that you found in yourself that helped you actually recover from this? Um, one of the biggest is resilience and I'm not the only one, but the one in, I found it in me first and now I help others to see that, but resilience is a big one. You know, I find that people, and it's not just people in addiction recovery, of course, you know, there's mental health and just a lot of people are resilient with their life struggles. But I found that a lot of people in addiction recovery, including myself, were very resilient, you know, to be able to overcome the things we did, you know, I shouldn't be here period for the, for that period of time of the, the heavy drug use, but I was resilient. I still trusted my gut intuition to get me to point A to point B. And at 22, what I did is I turned everything on. Like I had to change everything but my name at that point. So what was maybe uncharacteristic of people early into recovery, which was characteristic of me, was that I had to turn it on because of the charge I was facing. But I also did things that were not normal. You know, I started to goal set every day, almost intuitively. No one told me to do it. I started to write in a calendar every single day my daily tasks. Here are my daily tasks, even if they were simple, because they were simple. Eventually that turned into, you know, I, I started reading books, whether it was spiritual books, personal development books. I started doing affirmations. I started to, I, I got my first mentor. I started to do things. It just was like, it's really interesting. It just was, I guess early on, I, I had so much pressure and stress on me that I decided that I, I needed to turn it on and, and really do things that were not exactly normal for early recovery, but necessary for success. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. These traits that you've just described, I've had so many people on the show who are successful entrepreneurs who talk about going with their intuition because their intuition helps them uh, take advantage of unexpected opportunities, um, resilience in the face of incredible obstacles. Being an entrepreneur is, is so hard, so much harder than being an employee. Mindfulness, um, journaling, daily goals, being really clear on your goals and making sure that you focus on them every day having a real clear set of daily tasks and and particular outcomes that you're trying to produce because breakthroughs may seem like breakthroughs, but they happen after hundreds or thousands of tiny steps and uh, being structured about implementing your daily tasks. The, the whole idea of getting help, getting mentors, being in groups with like-minded people to support one another with a good facilitator. Um, yeah. So it's really interesting to hear that these traits are so common for entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. No, I love that. It's true. It's not one thing. It wasn't just one thing. And all of a sudden I'm successful and I'm in recovery and all these things. It was thousands of, of mini habits, mini habits that I did consistently over and over again that eventually led to success. Yeah. So what, what kind of state are the people often in that you work with when, when you start working with them? Well, 
I, I actually work with, if I'm working with someone who's an entrepreneur in recovery or, or more entrepreneur on that side, those are people usually with longer term, they're already in recovery from addiction, whatever you would define that, but they've removed themselves and they've been living a path of, like you said, mindfulness and, and things are working. So I work with that group that's farther along the path. But if I'm working, I also work with people who are in survival mode, which is where you're at when you're in early uh, you know, re addiction is, is you're in survival mode. You're often at your worst. And so I also work with that group as well. So I work with both sides of the spectrum. So, yeah. And what does it take to move the ball forward with both of those groups? Well, in early recovery, I mean, it's going to be a little different, but not so much different. And that's really what I'm trying to with the work I do is to show that even in early recovery, we should be setting goals. Even if they're small goals, we should have a vision for the future. Even if it's a, a basic version, doing the best you can at that time, but there should be types of attributes that help me to, to stay, you know, it's been 13 years now for me in long-term recovery. And if you look back and you look at my life, there's reasons for that. And part of it is because I was doing things that to me were definitely more entrepreneurial in nature, more personal growth and development. That was a big element for me to kind of just could see, I was more aware of what I wanted, what I didn't want really early on. And I think that's important for people, even in early recovery is to get a foundation that they, they can build upon learning about their strengths, learning about times when they're at their best and, and setting goals with the help of maybe a, a, a facility, which I don't think that's being done much right now, but to have goal setting and stuff even early on. And that's similar now with people who are in the longer term recovery, that's essential, having a vision, having purpose, having goals, having a system to achieve the goals. Because anyone can have goals. I mean, any, I, anyone can set a goal, but how do you actually achieve the goal? Well, that's a system, that's a way to, to get there. So it's, it's kind of, it's similar. Uh, early recovery and longer term recovery in some ways are similar in the sense that you do want to have some type of action plan for success. Right, so the process is similar, but the, the actual day-to-day -day challenges that people are facing might be a little different. Absolutely. Yeah. So Jesse, I, you know, I mentioned in the introduction that you work with communities and addiction treatment centers and, and programs in the Northeastern U.S. So like, what's the structure in which you actually facilitate the kind of work that you do? Do you work at all one-on-one -on -one with people? Is it always in groups? What, what's the different format, different structures and different environments? Yeah. So one way I do help people is with coaching. I do life coaching with people who are farther along the path, but specifically what I do at the treatment centers and in communities and sober living homes and whatnot is I actually facilitate a process that I call entrepreneurs recovery workshops and facilitation. And I learned this method through a training I went through called the leaf method from a company called the flourishing leadership Institute. I learned a method from them in 2017 and I knew I had the light bulb go off during the training that, wow, I could take this methodology and bring this into addiction recovery. And it was right after I left my job. So it was perfect timing, divine timing. And then I went into a sober living home and I applied it and it worked. And I kept kept doing it over and over again, this model. It's a one hour model because insurances typically pay for one hour groups. So I went in and, and I would facilitate this process of change where we were tapping tap into a person's story, their moments of resilience, so the difficult times, or the moments of excellence, times that were at their, when they were at their best. And then we would tap into the strengths. We would actually design 
um, in small group settings, a, 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 an empowering sentence based around the strengths. And then we would set actions and goals for what they were going to do when they left the treatment center, like essential tools that they would, they, they need to have to move forward. So that's, that's kind of the high level model of what I do at those centers. Mm-hmm. So how many years have you been at, at this now since you've left your job? Um, well, I left my job in August of 2017. So that's when the the journey started of this specific entrepreneurs and recovery facilitation model and the and the the actual my actual company and my mission. It was yeah, August of 2017. Okay. Um, so can you share a little bit about you know your own business model in particular? Like, what are the revenue models that you're using to try to develop your own your own business as you help this population? Yeah, the first model was life coaching. So I did become certified in um, a life coaching certification. So not that I needed that, but it's an, I, I say it's it can be important for a lot of people to do that. So life coaching was the first model. Um, see, the actual facilitation was not on the radar. It was like, oh, I was going to be a life coach, and then I was eventually going to write a book, maybe start a podcast. But what ended up happening is I I t- I the life coaching was the first revenue model. But then when I did the leave training, it became facilitation. And so now today, that is that is the number one driver besides the life coaching is the facilitation I do at treatment centers and then training people in my workshops that I facilitate. So those have been the main two drivers of revenue. But I also did write a book. So there's some obviously revenue from the audiobook, from the hardcover, from the softcover book, because I self-published it. Um, so those are really the main drivers of revenue. And what are you looking forward to in the future? How, how do you think that your own business is likely to evolve? What I'm most excited about is the Entrepreneurs of Recovery Facilitation workshops and training, because I'm going to bring this into many addiction treatment centers at the highest levels, at the smallest levels. And I'm going to train a lot of people, 100 people this year in that model. And that's how I can really impact uh, addiction recovery as we know it today. So that's what I'm most excited about. Mm. What advice would you have for other entrepreneurs that are trying to build something where the revenue is based on being able to implement something in a workshop or group format in institutions that are run by somebody else that will build revenue? Yeah, I mean, it definitely, I'll tell you what paid off for me was having a sales background, you know, with my job. It definitely helped when I called places, especially cold called places, which I don't recommend that. I would say if you can get a warm lead, of course, before you call some of these places to get in. But to have the sales background really helped me to connect with people. And, you know, people buy you, right? So people are buying me, they're not buying the product. And so I was able to call these places and and explain the work I'm doing and then give them uh, examples of other places I've used it. So do the work for free, like go out and do the work for free first, show them what you have to offer, then let them see the value in it. And then, then they'll eventually pay you for when they see the value. Right. I think that's actually a really important piece of information, particularly I, I've come across people that try to implement group programs in the same kind of structure where they're not offering something for free first. Mm-hmm. And they find it, and especially those that don't have the sales background, they have a really hard time being able to make that first sale. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's what I hear the most is like, well, I never was in sales, so it's easier for you. I hear that all the time, but it's not about my sales background that makes me successful. It's because I show them the value by giving it away 
And it's what should happen. They should see it. They should experience it. And that sells itself. Yeah. And then on, on the flip side, when you know that you need to give something away, and this this really is true for lots of different business models, when you know, you know you need to give something away to demonstrate that there's value, where do you draw the line and start charging? I mean, yeah, that's a great question. I mean, with my model that I've been doing, once I go in and I show them, once you book the appointment and you go in and I actually show them experientially, I'm, they're experiencing, I'm not talking or theorizing, it's not a PowerPoint which is useful. You can do that. But I actually should bring them through the process. Once they see it and they see the energy, uh, one time is really all it takes. And by the next time you're telling them, okay, this is what I, this is the rate that I charge. And this is what I charge at other places. And if that's relevant, sometimes it's not, you shouldn't say that, but for the most part, you, you show them, you give it to them. And it's, it's really, to me, it's one time, you know, they've seen it, that the value, other places are getting value out of this. So it's, yeah, just one time, one, one strong demo. And if not, then move on. There's other future-based people that want to work with you, customers and, and people that places that are a better fit. Right. You know, I think what you've said about one demo that shows some value and if people get it and they, and they like it and they want more, they'll pay for it. And if not, move on. Exactly. Yep. Great advice. Jesse, whom do you know personally who's done a really remarkable job smashing the plateau? Um, well, I, I got to say probably Hal Alrod. He wrote the book, The Miracle Morning. And uh, that's been just a smash success. And he has a new book coming out called The Miracle Equation. But he's someone who I've looked up to since uh, probably 2015. And I've just seen what he's done and the amount of people he's impacting. You know, 500,000 people do his morning routine every day. So I would say he's making a huge ripple in the world. So just looking up to someone like Hal Elrod. Right. Great, great example. What's coming up for you in the near future? Well, what's coming up for me is is this Entrepreneurs and Recovery Facilitation Workshops. This month is the official launch of that program. I've already trained five people in it, but this is the official launch, the website, recoveryfacilitation.com. All of that's coming out this month. So that's what I'm most excited about to get this work into the world. And if somebody wants to go deeper with anything you've shared today, Jesse, or they want to learn more or access any of your resources, where would they go? Uh, today, would the best place to go is my name, jesseharless.com. You could also go to entrepreneursandrecovery.com. And those are the, the best two places to, to find me and learn more about the work I'm doing. Do you have a free gift for our audience? Yeah, I do. If you go to www.jesseharless.com slash free gift, you'll get uh, essentially my 30-day cold shower uh, you know, journal, which we didn't really get into. But if you wanted to, to get into the cold showers, it's a journal where you can actually write down your notes for the day. You can kind of debrief how that first cold shower went all, all the way for the next 30 days. Right. So since we didn't spend any time on the cold shower, maybe in, in one minute, you could just give a little hint about what's behind that. Yeah, real quick, smash your comfort zone with cold showers. Why I wrote that book is because I have been facing social anxiety even 10 years into long-term recovery, even with two degrees and with, I've been on medication, I've been in therapy for years. I knew all about all these methods. I still had it. And one day someone said, take a cold shower as a close friend of mine. And I took it. And long story short, I did the 30-day challenge of cold showers and my social anxiety started to go away. 
literally. And so I started to use the concept of smashing my comfort zone every day with a cold shower and turn it into what other fears can I face on a daily basis? What can I do that scares me every day to continue to smash my comfort zone? And that was the concept kind of behind the book. Mm-hmm. Ah, great. So speaking of smashing, Jesse, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to join us today on Smashing the Plateau Yeah, and sharing your, um, your experiences and your insights has been really great. My guest today has been the founder of Entrepreneurs in Recovery, Jesse Harless. Thank you again, Jesse, for joining us. Thanks so much, David. When you visit the Smashing the Plateau website at smashingtheplateau.com, you'll find a summary of each episode along with the links we mention on the show. Today, we learned how people in recovery can be successful entrepreneurs and how Jesse has built his own business. Please share this episode with friends and colleagues to help them smash the plateau. And remember, when you support our sponsors, you help us bring Smashing the Plateau to you for free. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our show. I'll see you on our next episode.